Good morning. How can we be at rest in restless times? That's a challenge, isn't it? I'd like to draw your attention again to a few verses that Chris read a little earlier from Acts chapter 20. Let's look again, if you would, open your Bibles, if you, if you happen to close them. Look at verse 22 through 24. Paul is saying this as this testimony to the Ephesian elders. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. In other words, under the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. How could Paul be at rest when what lay before him was unknown and restless. Nothing but trouble awaited him, and yet he seems to be at peace. What would bring that same kind of rest into our lives in these restless times? It was Paul's confidence in the sovereignty of his God. It was his confidence in the promises of God. It was the confidence that he had in Jesus Christ who had met him on the road to Damascus and had never failed him. In his salvation, this promise of Christ's complete salvation, it was confidence in Jesus' abiding presence that enabled him to be and to persevere in peace and rest even though what lay before him was nothing but news of trouble. I want you to think how relevant a very familiar passage of Scripture would be to Paul and comfort him, and it would comfort us the same. It's Psalm 23. Think about what Paul just said, what we just reread about what lay before him, and think about how the truths about God and who God is and what he will do for Paul would comfort him and, and can comfort you and me. You're, you're familiar with Psalm 23, but let me refresh our memories. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul was laying hold of those truths that were in that psalm. I don't know if he was reciting it to himself along the way. We don't know what verses he was clinging to, but we do know that Paul in his faith is an example to us. And we, like him, can cling to the same God, to the same promises, to the same truths, and get through and be at rest in who we are in Christ, even in restless times. Paul didn't know what lay ahead neither do we. <laughs> but Paul knew God would never abandon him. Acts chapter 20, I call it Paul's farewell tour. 
It's his third missionary journey, and he is saying goodbye to everyone along the way. I have a map that I just wanted to show you. David, you inspired me to do this, okay? So I gotta turn this on, and I wanna point. Just a real broad picture. This is Paul's third missionary journey. He started in Jerusalem, Damascus. He got saved there, and his first missionary went from Antioch. They went to Cyprus, he and Barnabas, and then they went up into this area, and they built and they planted churches. They came back to home base. First missionary journey done. Second missionary journey, he and Barnabas split paths. Barnabas went to Cyprus. He and John Mark, Paul and Silas, they went back this way through this area. They tried to go up into Bithynian things and the Lord prevented him, but there was a Macedonian call, so they went across. And they went into Macedonia, modern-day Greece, and they, they went here and planted churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and down into Corinth and Athens, and then they retraced steps and, yeah, back to home base, Antioch. Second missionary journey done, Acts chapter 18. There's a verse in chapter 19, we looked at it last week, verse 21. He was telling the people at Ephesus after the riot, or just before the riot. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So, Paul was being driven by, this, by the Holy Spirit. He was following the Spirit. He's back in Antioch, and his last missionary journey, his farewell journey, he goes back to all these churches. We're reading about that. He's in Ephesus. He goes into Macedonia and Achaia again, modern-day Greece, and then he retraces a step, and he gets, he's going to Jerusalem, the end of his third missionary journey. He's speaking to them this last time because why? He's restless in a good way. God's spending him westward to Rome and then even to Spain. He was always pushing out the gospel. Here he goes. So that's what's driving him. So he wants to speak to these churches. We read the letters he's written to them. We see all the tears that he's expressed, how he's poured his life into these new believers so that they can mature and spread the gospel everywhere. His last tour. Acts gives us a history about the first century so that we see how the church spread. Acts gives us this history because God wants to make some key points or give us some key messages. I love what G. Campbell Morgan says. He says, these few, few details are given to us so we have a history. And with that history, God is making a comment. God is telling us something by giving us these brief histories. If Luke were to tell us everything Paul said in all the churches and all these tours, you know, the book would be so thick we would never read it. Our eyes would glaze over. I know most of us would never pick it up and go through it. But he gives us these snippets, these little tidbits, so that we can see what God wants to tell us. And that's what's so exciting to me about the book of Acts, because like right now, we're seeing this opportunity to spread the gospel in our community in new ways, and it's like, God, you're opening doors. Where do you want us to go? Well, God wants us to see, or God is making a few comments in Acts 20, and I want to just highlight a few of them this morning. The first is this, at rest in restless times, Paul says farewell to, modern, or to Asia and to Greece, or modern-day Turkey and to, uh, to Greece. 
And one thing we see in verse 20, we didn't read these verses, let's read verse one. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And then there's this list of names. Men we don't know. And in verse 6 it says, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, Troas, where we stayed for seven days. There's one important comment God's making here, and we, we might not pick it up, but it's a word repeated in verse 1, verse 2, and then a little bit later in verse 12, and it's the word parakaleo, the Greek word which just means encouragement or exhortation or comfort. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is paraclete. It's, in the same, it's the same root of that Greek word, and it means comforter. So here Paul is giving us an example of what Christian ministry is. The ride in Ephesus has calmed down. We would say the smoke is cleared, the waters are calm enough, it's safe to re-enter the waters, and Paul gets together with the believers and he fills them. Encouragement just means filling with courage filling with comfort, filling them up with comfort, because they were going to be facing opposition. This riot wasn't the last time there would be opposition to the gospel, so he encourages them to hang in there with the word of God. By his faithful character, we're going to read that a little bit later on in, in, as, we, as we talk about his uh, speech or last words to the Ephesian elders. He gives great comfort. He tells them to hold on to God. I don't know if he talked about Psalm 23, but that would have been one of many great references to remind them how God would care for them every day, all the way through until we're, they're in his presence. They needed this encouragement, and so do we. So God makes a comment, and he says, as Paul was doing his last tour, he was encouraging pointing people to the word of God, pointing them to the character of their God, their Savior, and reminding them to stay true because God is faithful. To stay anchored in the faith because you're going to face opposition. We face opposition. And yet, can't we dare to follow Jesus well? So here's some ministry style points. I think that's a comment God wants to remind us of. It's going to be even more clear when we take a, a little bit longer look at his address to the Ephesian elders. But the second thing is, I see in, the, in these first six verses here, is serving together in unity. All those names of those men, Sopater from the Berean, the son of Pariah, accompanied him, and then the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Scadandus. I'm sorry, I practice these names. Scott, I'm with you. And Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. Luke joins Paul again on this last journey to Jerusalem before he goes to Rome, wants to go to Rome. 
So all these representatives are taking an offering to help the church in Jerusalem that's suffering in poverty and famine, and they're taking this gift. And what Paul's doing here is showing the Jews in Jerusalem, the Jews and Greeks and Gentiles that were, were in Jerusalem, that they're like the mother church. They're the ones who believe Christ and obeyed him and spread the gospel. And now these Gentiles who've come, become believers because of their mission-mindedness and obedience to Christ, they want to encourage them with a gift. There's this unity and this diversity that's beautiful, and God doesn't want us to miss it. Beauty and diversity because one thing they all had in common was what? Their salvation in Christ, their hope of Christ, their life in Christ, their future in Christ, their strength to live each day for Christ all together. We don't have a lot of details in all these journeys, but in all this journey, but we do know facing opposition. Gentiles in Ephesus, the riot that we talked about last week, opposing the gospel. The Jews, again, having a plot to kill the Apostle Paul. So he had to change his, his route to Jerusalem. And instead of sailing to Syria, probably with pilgrims going to Jerusalem for Passover, he had to celebrate Passover in Philippi because he had to walk and go around a different way to protect himself, staying out of trouble. But he was at rest in these restless times because he was serving his God and doing what he commanded. I just want to remind us of this again. Plot after plot against the gospel. Opposition, opposition against the truth of Christ. It's a rare time and place when the gospel of Jesus Christ is not opposed. And when that was true in my lifetime, that was by God's grace, and he allows times of peace. But those times of peace come and go. A comment that God wants us to remember in our times now. So we see God's plan for his people, Jews and Gentiles from different cities, different cultures and languages, being made one in Christ, working together to spread the gospel. Again, I say these names don't mean a lot to us, but let's not miss this fun point. Let's, let's just use our sanctified imaginations. These were different men from different cities, some from Asia, some from Greece, they weren't neighbors. They weren't necessarily friends before this. They didn't have a common language. They had different accents. If Greek was their common language, which it might have been, but they had different accents, just like people down south speak different than me. You Philadelphians speak different from me. I'm from the Pittsburgh area, so I have a western Pennsylvania accent. It's very different. You hear it sometimes when I speak, don't you? These men were humans and believers just like us. So I wonder who snored and kept the rest awake in the bunkhouse. Just think about that. They had to put up with one another, right? Who was the timid one? Who was the timid one until it was time to give a testimony and then it was like God put their hand on them and just like, wow, what happened to you? You're so quiet and now you're like so brave. Who was the one who was always repeating the same old tired jokes? 
Who was always seeing the glasses half empty and who was always seeing the glasses half full? The, the pessimists and the optimists trying to get along. Who was always, who, who's the one who tended toward sarcasm and cynicism? They were people just like us, but what did they have in common? They had a call from Jesus Christ. They had a commission from Jesus Christ. They had commands from Jesus Christ to go and spread the gospel and they made it work. And you and I are here today hearing the gospel of God because people through the centuries have made it work and spread the gospel and obeyed. The deep love that Jesus has for us and for them empowered them to love and to endure with one another and to go and to work together for his honor and glory. In this first section, God makes a comment on Paul's ministry style. He makes a comment on being together in unity. It's a style that imitated Jesus' ministry and Paul's ministry, and it's something we can look at to encourage and to exhort one another and other people and to comfort them so that they can know Christ. But let's move on to the next several verses. In verse 7 we read, they're in Troas now. On the first day of the week, that is on Sunday, when we were together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talked still longer... And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Eutychus's story is just great, right? Paul had to delay going back to Palestine, so he comes on through Troas, and he speaks there this last time on his way to Jerusalem, way into the night, and actually all through the night, a late-night sermon. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that, that Luke uh, gives us that detail about the lamps. So it wasn't just Paul's long sermon. Hot room, third story, lamps burning, smoke, heat, Eutychus is in the window trying to catch a little bit of the breeze, but he falls asleep anyway. Probably worked all day. You know, in the Roman world, Sunday wasn't a day off. It was a seven-day-a-week kind of thing for most people. So here he is trying to stay awake. He falls asleep, and he dies. But the Apostle Paul, by the gifts that God had given him as an apostle, raises him back to life. And I love that phrase in verse 12, and they were not a little comforted. I have this great little poem I want to read. Poor sleepy Eutychus, a-sittin' without squirmin', perching on a window ledge to hear an endless sermon. Now his eyes are droopy, sitting way up high. Poor sleepy Eutychus is just about to die. St. Paul keeps on a-preaching to our hero snoozing hard. Then Udy leans into the air and crashes in the yard. But Paul is an apostle quite like on other men. Down he runs to Eutychus and gives him life again. So if you're going to sleep in church, don't from a window fall. The man up front a-preaching is not Apostle Paul. <laughs> You've been warned. 
<laughs> we are not the Apostle Paul. No one's ever been given life through my hands, and I don't really expect them ever to be. But I do want you to know that we are sent like Jesus was sent to bring encouragement, to fill people, believers, with courage, to bring comfort to those who are not being comforted. Listen to what Jesus said. Just be reminded. He said to the disciples after his resurrection, after he was resurrected, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he said this in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. So we are sent to bring encouragement and comfort and hope to the captives who are trapped in sin, to those who are weak in their faith to build them up. Aren't we all at some time or point in our lives? So that those who are enslaved and trodden down because of their own sins or because of the wickedness of other people can be set free with the gospel and be comforted and find hope for a future that can never be taken away because it's secure, because Jesus is the resurrected Lord. So like this team that was sent and going to, with Paul to Jerusalem by faith in Jesus, they were set free from sin's power and they were spreading the word wherever they went. And we need to help one another tell it and to learn to tell it better and increase our conversation skills to improve on them wherever we go, to just practice it so we get better at it, to prepare to live differently. Your quiet testimony of kindness and integrity and honesty speaks volumes in a world where that is not always the case. So don't think it's nothing, but be faithful. Let our world know because it desperately needs it. So give out encouragement and comfort and serve in unity because it's challenging times and we see Paul doing it along with his team in Troas. One other thing I wanted to point out, and, and there's so much more in, in this chapter, but in chapter 20, we read about uh, Paul's speech or his uh, last words to the Ephesian elders. And, I want to take a few minutes to look at it. Chris already read this passage. In verse 17, Paul calls the elders to Miletus because he doesn't want to take time to go inland to, 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 to the elders there because he knows it would prevent him from traveling on. They'd want him to stay a lot longer. And Paul gives a great farewell address and he speaks those great words because he doesn't know what lies ahead, but yet he's at rest in these restless times. And he gives this charge because he wants to fill these, these elders with courage, with strength, with hope, because they were facing opposition. And I'm sure Paul said a similar message in all the cities. And Luke just didn't record it for us. He recorded it here because 
Luke was an eyewitness now again. He was teamed up with Paul here. And he's heard this sermon. He heard this exhortation. And he's an eyewitness, so he records this for him. But I'm sure Paul said many similar things to every place where he visited on this farewell tour. They needed to hear it, and we needed to hear it. And there's three main, main themes here. Paul sets up his behavior as an example. He talks about that in verses 18 through 27. He gives this incredible charge to them in verses 28 through 30, and then he commends them or commits them to God in verse 32. And Paul says he, he, he was an example. You yourselves know, it says in verse 18, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you everything that was profitable and teaching. Teaching you everything they needed to hear. He shared the gospel, the gospel of repentance. In the upper room, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. The Lord of the universe stooping down to wash feet when no one else was willing. Go and do likewise, he said. Paul, willing to do anything so that someone could hear the gospel. That's convicting, isn't it? I only want to do it when it's comfortable, only when it's convenient, only when it only costs me not too much. But like Jesus, Paul identified with the people, house to house, in public, down in the nitty-gritty of life. They care, Jesus cares for us like a good parent does their children. And Paul did the same. Like Jesus, Paul was a teacher. And we're all teachers in some way, whether it's publicly or in small groups or just in our home. We're teachers. So teach them profitable things, things that build people up, things that point people to Christ and heaven and to glory and hope. He witnessed to the gospel because it's the only gospel that would save. He was willing to suffer even when he obeyed. He was obeying and he suffered for it, and yet he endured it because he was at rest in what was ahead. Now and what was ahead. And then Paul gives an incredible charge to the elders. In verse 28 he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves. Well, we all need to do that. And we need help from one another to watch ourselves because we're easily led astray. We're easily uh, upended or diverted from God's ways. We get discouraged. We give up. We just want to go our own way. We rebel. And we need someone to grab onto us. And you know what? Some of you people in the back, I don't know very well. But other people that sit in the back do know you better, and you know what? Those people need to shepherd you. You need to shepherd one another. You need to help one another because one person, the elders, the deacons, the ministry leaders, we can't do it all because you know things we don't know. And you need to shepherd one another.
to help one another, to do, as we say, life together. So watch yourselves. What a charge. And then watch the flock, because there's going to be people on the outside coming in, wolves, and there's going to be wolves from the inside trying to lead people astray. Watch yourself. Watch one another, because this flock was bought with the precious blood of Christ. Valuable commodity. You don't want to lose a soul that's Christ. You don't want them to go astray. Precious because they're bought with the blood of Christ. Be an example. Set the pace, young or old. Then he committed them to God in verse 32. He commended them to God and to his word. The resources that God gives us so that we can do the work of the ministry, so we can grow, so we can help one another move on. Then he talks in verses 33 through 35 again. He talks about his example. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all those things I've shown that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then they parted the farewell. The older I get, the more I hate goodbyes. Because the life gets thinner and thinner. And there's less opportunity to be together. I've said goodbye too many times to too many lovely people in ministry. When I ponder the pain of separation of death, it just makes me sad. Probably makes you sad too. I'm sure it does. A good friend of mine said this about his kids who lived far away. They had grandchildren. And he said his family called it sappy dad time. <laughs> when eyes fill up with tears, maybe voices crack. Mine's doing it a little bit now. To say goodbye to loved ones that are far away. And you might not see them again. Something could happen. Life is not always smooth. It's so unnatural to say goodbye, isn't it? God never intended that for that to be, but Satan and his wicked schemes brought death on us, this curse that brings pain. It's an intrusion. But Jesus came to rescue us from it. That's why God sent him, to be a shepherd that would save us, that would die in our place so our sins could be forgiven so we'd be free from death, free from living selfishly and, and, and living for others. That's the gospel. Believing in Jesus should change everything and how we look at life. Oh, Lord, continue to teach us and change us. If you happen to be a doubter today or one of those stoic persons that are kind of like, I can do it on my own. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I want you to know only Jesus can remove that curse of death. Only Jesus can remove the weakness that's in our lives. Find life now and forever in Christ. Believers, Today we can be at rest. 
Because our future is pleasant and secure. But there must be sacrifice done now in some form or fashion. A little uncomfort, a little uh, displeasure because we have work to do for Christ. He's with us now. He's shepherding you. He's never going to leave your side. And if the Lord Jesus is your shepherd, then like Psalm 23 reminds us, then even in the valley of the shadow of death, we really have nothing to fear. So that helps me live differently. It gives me a a little bit more courage to be brave for him because his grace is going to carry us into his presence. So this last section, this farewell address to the Ephesians just reminds us of this great challenge and how great example to others. Followers of Jesus, I would just ask you to do this. Take inventory today. If you're only 15 or 16 or 18 or 20 years old, you still have a lot to reflect on to think about how God has carried you through life to this point. If you're older than that, then you've got a ton of things to thank God for. Just think about your life and how God has moved you, even to be here today, to hear this message of hope and grace and maybe to strengthen you and encourage you. Remember what Jesus has done for you. And be thankful. He's purchased you with his own blood. He will withhold nothing from you. You're his. He bought you. He wants the best for you. You can trust his promises. Read Psalm 23 again, and while you're at it, look at Psalm 25 later on today as well. Rest in your future in him, and let it move you to be restless. Am I contradicting myself? No. At rest in restless times, yes, because we're secure in Christ, but yet that same resting in Christ should make our hearts restless because there are a lot of people who need the same hope and security that you and I possess, and we need to share it with them. We need to figure out ways to communicate to them. We need to, as one witnesser said in a course, barbecue, barbecue, barbecue. Build relationships. Just eat together, talk together, and look for opportunities to talk about the hope you have in Christ. You don't have to gram it down their throats. Build relationships. Barbecue, barbecue, barbecue. Host a dinner, host a dinner, host a dinner. In our parking lot, in our home. Together in the park. Be at rest. Jesus, our shepherd, is leading us to godly rest. But let that hope stir us to restlessness. Peace be with you, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so... I am sending you. Tomorrow you go somewhere, maybe today, to work. You've been sent there by Jesus Christ. Heard a neat thing this week in a little trailer that I was watching. When you go get gas, don't go to get gas. Go to be a servant of Christ. And while you're there, fill up your tank. When you go to the grocery store, go there to be a servant of Christ. And while you're there, 
buy some groceries. When you go to the bank, go there to be a servant of Christ. And while you're there, make a deposit or a withdrawal. But our calling is to be servants of Christ, followers of Christ, shares of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much restlessness in our world. And our sinful ways and our selfish ways have contributed to the restlessness. But Lord God, you came to rescue us. Lord, I pray that you would be our only vision. Lord Jesus, that your example of giving and sacrifice and caring and encouraging, your coming alongside us would remind us what you've sent us to do. And Lord, we know that you will help us when we ask. Send us out in your powerful grace, even today, so that others may begin to see and be stirred in their hearts to want to have the peace and be at rest in restless times that they're experiencing because of what we have, what you've given us in Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.